uh, went to my family physician. I, we were talking and he asked if I was having suicidal thoughts and I was like, never had actually admitted it. And I had fleeting ones of just Mm -hmm. self-harm, didn't have a plan or anything like that. And I mentioned that and then he went off on me and it was the most traumatizing thing that Mm -hmm. happened because he's like, that's so selfish of you to like want to take your life. I can't believe you'd do that uh, to your wife, to your family. Like why, like think of all the people that you could help, like the patients, if you killed yourself, then Mm -hmm. you would be letting down your patients and you'd be letting down your family members. And it was like, Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. That's you're, you're totally right. I I don't, I don't want to have those thoughts. So I need to do something like, so that was a really bad breaking point. Hello, what's up? My name is Ibrahima Abraham Sise. I am the creator and executive producer of The Freedom Project. And today I'm here with a very, very special guest. Uh, his, his name is Dr. Hawkins. That's what I'm going to call him because I want to um, respect the hard work that he takes to become a doctor. So um, we're, we're just going to go right into it because today's topic is going to be based around suicide and burnout, uh, uh, mainly in the um, hospital doctors you know nurses like residents um and currently i am in utah i drove all the way out here just to have this interview so thank you so much for making time by the way uh so mr hawkins go ahead or dr hawkins (laughs) thank you no thanks for coming out yeah so my name's hawkins meekum dr hawkins meekum yes um went i'm a physician uh, i'm a specialist in neuromuscular medicine uh, Mm -hmm. general practice here in Utah, just finished my uh, residency yeah, two months ago now. So, and setting up practice here in Utah, mm-hmm. and also teaching at the new medical school that they started just this past year here. So, oh wow, okay, I didn't even know about the practice. So you're gonna have to go deeper into that. Yep. What exactly is the practice? So my practice focuses on pain management, mm-hmm. um, non-surgical. So I. Uh, part of my specialty as an osteopathic physician, I do manipulation and um, injections and things like that. So that's kind of my primary focus. But then I also do general practice. So people that have just general medical needs, I mm-hmm. ha- I bring them on as patients and uh, treat them. So wow, I don't awesome. do a lot of med management. I do a mm-hmm. little bit, but I, I that's not my realm or my specialty. So I leave mm-hmm. that to other specialists. Wow. So. That's awesome. So um, my biggest fear is like injection. Even till today, whenever I'm getting my blood drawn, it's like a fist fight. <laughs> so I have to let people know, hey, before you give me an injection, just tie me on something because I apologize in advance for anything that may happen. I don't know. So <laughs> it's, Injections are scary. They get like people get you never know. I've had somebody actually crawl up a wall before it was. Great. It was, they were totally <laughs> well, fine. Me. And then we get near with a needle and they, they just essentially up. shut up a wall. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, 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 it's like pain that you're aware it's happening because usually pain is like something that happens like instance usually, but it's like pain that you can see happen every step of the way. <laughs> the doctor slowly just like, you know, putting everything together. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm going to freak out lady or mister do not get close to me so yeah but um, i mean i'm pretty sure you, you, you know you do more than that because yes. you know you like mentioned something about pain um does it have to be like a specific kind of pain nope so i deal with pain across the board whether it's a, i have some patients that have and pain is very correlated with um mental health yes psychological um difficulty so sometimes the physical pain is long gone. They've mm-hmm. been years, but the fit, the mental the part mental. of it is still there. So that I, part of the, the physical touch that I do, the manipulation does mm-hmm. help like them calm down helps yes. like some people just, that's what they need as their medicine or they need as their treatment. They just need physical touch. And no, so definitely. Sometimes that helps. You know, I, you know, I like, um, I'm read something about how us humans, sometimes we just need a hug. So, you know, we're definitely going to dive deeper into that because, you know, you know, again, this is more, 
about talking about mental health, like, you know, just the effects of suicide and just burnout in general, mainly in, in like hospitals. So um, I do want you to share a little bit about your background, like where are you from? Like, how did you even end up becoming a doctor? And how did you end up in Utah? Because I know you and I are from here, right? So I'm actually originally from Utah. So I okay. grew up uh, in central Utah, I guess it would be classified. I grew up in uh, a couple places mm-hmm. and then have moved around a bunch. Gotcha. Uh, so really got interested in medicine uh, because my mom had cancer growing up. So diagnosed mm-hmm. when I was six years old and then passed away, died when I was 16. So wow. really went to all of her treatments with her, actually enjoyed just enjoyed in the sense that I got to be with her yes. and got to see people that were helping her in the medical mm-hmm. field. And so that was for me really the, the catalyst for what I like. Cause I mm-hmm. saw people helping her while I was in medicine, like in medicine, I was just like, that's such a cool yeah. thing to be able to do as a job. And mm-hmm. so it, it helped me drive there. I didn't have anybody in my family that was mm-hmm. medicine. So I kind of wavered for a couple of years, did yes. some other things for a while before I actually went to into medicine. Mm -hmm. And then once I decided to do that, uh, attended medical school at Des Moines University Mm -hmm. in Iowa and lived out there for five years. And then I did the whole medical school rotations and all Mm -hmm. that. So with some of those, I traveled all over the country and it was Mm -hmm. got to experience different things. So it was really kind of a fascinating experience to see just different places so Mm -hmm. and then did a family medicine residency up in upstate new york so Mm -hmm. the buffalo buffalo area for a year and then i had some kind of family Mm -hmm. events happening where i just needed to take a break and wanted some that was really kind of i was getting burned out. I was really in my, like the way I say it is I was really toasted. I was just, my brain Mm -hmm. was tired. I was just physically just exhausted. I had just a lot of physical things also going on. And so I decided to take a break. Mm -hmm. Wasn't sure if it was going to be, was going to move out of medicine or if I was going to stay in medicine. Mm -hmm. So ended up, uh, connecting with a really good friend of mine, Kayla Lohr. She's Mm -hmm. actually a physician and we, and she was starting a nonprofit organization in Portland. Mm-hmm. And she asked me like, if I wanted to come on and kind of help. And I thought that was a fantastic idea. So yeah. joined with her, we started this nonprofit called moon cycle medicine. And really, I enjoyed that really kind of started the fire back in for me for mm-hmm. medicine because I got to see people that, and treat them with yes. especially I do now, which is uh, osteopathic manipulative treatment. Mm-hmm. And so that just really started the fire for me again. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up getting a wanting to go home. She's from Alaska. So she mm-hmm. moved away and that really, that was kind of the final kind of push for me to return to residency yes. and go and pursue my current specialty neuromuscular medicine. So once she left, I returned to residency for the last two years and then mm-hmm. just finished up. So wow. And then wow. wanted to come back to Utah. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend lives here and my family, a lot of my family's here. So mm-hmm. I just, and I just love the outdoors. I'm a big mountain person. So yeah. I like to just be outside and nature is my medicine and activity. So, Man. Yeah. so as, as someone who like travel a lot too, it, it, it it's like, it, it's so hard for me to like double down on a place that I actually like. So I love the part of it. But one thing that I love about, you know, like Utah, it's it's just the view. It was so hard to drive and, <laughs> get distracted. and not look. And I was like, oh, my God, you have a son home. Focus, because you need to get back home. So so you like touching a lot of things. And, you yeah. know, you, you just gave me so many questions. So brace yourself. Yeah. Um, I want you to take me back to you being a 16-year-old and having to uh, uh, be there for your mom. Like, how exactly did that make you feel? just being there uh, and actually watching the whole process going on, like on the, you know, personal side, like how did it make you feel? It was, it was challenging because I didn't understand a lot of what was happening. Yes. Uh, it was confusing because my mom was really young. My mom was 30, 30 years old when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, which mm-hmm. is not very common. Yeah. And part of what happened was she was not really misdiagnosed. She was, 
essentially dismissed because of her young age. Yeah. The uh, young, a physician that, again, I don't know the whole circumstances, mm-hmm. but kind of dismissed her for many, like two years. My uh, parents kept saying there was a lump, there was a lump, and mm-hmm. was like, no, you're too young, you're too young. So that, it just, and then finally my pediatrician actually felt that it was something and referred mm-hmm. her to a oncologist and then that's then it was diagnosed as a pretty aggressive form of breast cancer so yeah it was it was challenging because I got at a young age I I saw the ups and downs I saw her get hospitalized mm-hmm. a number of times and didn't know if it was that was going to be the time that she was going to pass away or if mm-hmm. it was going to be uh she was going to be all right again and pull through. It was just one of those that really didn't in a way you were trying to prepare for it, but as mm-hmm. somebody that was young, you don't ever yeah. want that to happen. And so I, it was challenging. Like I remember it actually was uh 20, no, 19 years ago, a month ago. So in wow. eight, August 20 in end of August, mm-hmm. uh, 2002 is when my mom passed away. So wow. it's almost been 20 years. So I've been longer without her than I was with her. And it's yes. kind of, that's, that's a weird thing to think about in itself. But yeah, so it was a very bizarre thing because I'd seen her a week before mm-hmm. she ended up, ended up passing and it just didn't think about it. It was just one of those, again, she's going to pull through. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately yeah. that, that fight with cancer just it yeah. was a lot. So, and yeah, which is great for, yeah. yeah, it was, she was given, I remember the conversation as a six year old that she was given about six to 12 months to live mm-hmm. when she was first diagnosed and she ended up surviving for 10. So 10 years. So, wow. So they told you that when you were six years old yep. and then you had to grow up knowing that, something may happen but you just have to be strong and be there wow that's yeah. i mean that's a lot for a kid because yeah. you know some <laughs> kids are worrying about you know what to do uh, um you know in the playground or, or stuff like that where you are like dealing with real things yeah so um after she passed was there like you know like a resource for you to like you know just understand those emotions of you know being there uh, uh, for your mom for so long and then having to lose her like what was the process like? Did you have a family member or just like a community? So we, we had, I have a pretty close family. We're, mm-hmm. I have a pretty large family. So it was, we relied on each other. I think it was one of those things that none of us really knew what was going on, but we mm-hmm. were big enough that we could kind of, uh, mm-hmm. work it together. Yeah. And so that's, that's probably the biggest thing that we did like resource wise, it's just, we kind of leaned on each other and mm-hmm. were able to get through things, but it was, it was definitely challenging because I think we were all in the same boat and we were trying to deal with that in our own ways yes. that, and my dad did get us, was able to get us some help, but it was one of those things that the resources was limited because we just had limited funds and so mm-hmm. yeah you could only go so much and then you can only like talk so many times like i don't know it was one of those things that mm-hmm. i didn't know what to talk about and i yeah i may not have had a counselor that quite understood understood yeah. what as i have gone through medicine i realized that there are definitely people that with their training would be more suited to have like childhood trauma, which having a mom diagnosed at a young age and then Mm -hmm. losing them is a different skill set than somebody that may not like that is just dealing with anxiety and depression. So like those are two different skill sets and career Mm -hmm. sets that I think I didn't understand. I don't think my dad understand, like understood because Mm -hmm. unless you're in it in the field and you don't realize that there are those separate skill sets that professionals have. So, wow. Man, I mean, that's a lot to do with, you know, just as a kid. Because, you, know, uh, you know, me as a little boy, you know, I also lost a really close friend of mine. Oh. And I had to, uh, I mean, back then I had no idea what was wrong with me. But due to that stress of not knowing who to talk to, what to do, and, you know, also blaming myself that, you know, I could have saved him because he drowned. Oh. But I don't know how to swim. 
and I was just a little kid back then. Right. And I just blamed myself for so long, and that stress turned into a stutter. I had a really bad stutter. And, you know, it, it, it just just kept getting worse and worse. My entire personality changed. So it's like you having to go through that. I'm pretty sure you've also had your own things that you were dealing with by yourself. Yeah. What were those? Like, uh, um, definitely as a young as a young person you mean yeah just as a young just basically you having to go through that after your mom passed and then becoming who you are today in between that i think for me i didn't i i always wanted to be strong like i wanted to appear strong that was my dad was a marine and so it was Mm -hmm. that like you gotta be tough and man up man up and like and it was his generation like i like i love my dad we get along really Mm -hmm. awesome now and but it was you just, and then that was the mentality. I was like, I just got to be strong. I can't be weak. And mm-hmm. so I kind of stuffed it. I, the way I describe it is I jam it in a box and I put it away and I'm like, yes. I maybe we'll get to it. But in my mind, I knew I wasn't going to get to it. Cause I just wanted to kind of put it out of my mind and just mm-hmm. go through it. And looking back through the whole process now, I know that that was, I became more anxious, more mm-hmm. just, I've always been the anxious person growing up and Mm -hmm. so i always just ran like a little bit different like i'd always worry more than some of my other siblings about certain Mm -hmm. things and but then after my mom passed then it was it just got worse it just got Mm -hmm. more intense to the point where there were days that i remember there was actually one day i called the the er seeing because i was just having a panic Panic what i know now is to be a panic panic attack called them and they obviously they can't give you advice over the phone and Mm -hmm. like I just had to like ride that wave and that for me was scary because I didn't know what to do with it and Mm -hmm. so and then getting into college it was just work through all the stresses of that and Mm -hmm. paying for my way and trying to do things and so and then medical school just kind of just blew any type of structure that I had created Mm -hmm. that that foundation I built houses before I went back to school and so I always equate it back I built a really crappy foundation Mm -hmm. on things I'm like oh I can deal with all this but I real it really wasn't a great foundation that I started and so the stress of medical school essentially was a hurricane and it wiped it out and I had no idea how how to reset things or how to get my bearings back and it Mm -hmm. just things kind of got out of control for me I didn't cope uh, cope very well so wow uh, I mean so um, lately uh, especially this past day uh, I mean yesterday I've been around a bunch of like medical students and just like listening to them talk you know it's it's like super I mean to me you know it's not stressful because I'm listening to them yeah. but to them just even talking about it it's like the emotions in their face. I can feel that. And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening here? Yeah, it's it's a crazy <laughs> war. Like, and I, it's it's so challenging because you don't realize it. And then you get in with this group of people and you're like, oh, this is just how it is. And that's how mm-hmm. I thought when I was in it. I just like, oh, this is just how it is. And mm-hmm. I think in a way it, it is like it is, it's a very demanding profession. And I think mm-hmm. you have to approach it differently because of what you need to learn. But mm-hmm. I definitely think there's ways that we could improve on it so that it yeah. doesn't like beat us down and destroy Absolutely. these because going with these very high ideals and by the time and I I never I just always try to encourage people what you see mm-hmm. other like uh, other physicians that are like oh like they see these young first year medical students or they have this light that they're so excited to like get into medicine and they're like, Oh, that'll go away. And you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, like that's sad that away. that's like the okay thing to say to people. <laughs> like that's just going to go away. And you're like, Oh man, you want them to continue that fire because yeah. you see so many physicians that just, I mean, they've been ground down to the point that they really do not care. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is very hard, especially having to wake up every day. And the only thing you would think about is you, you know, basically your schedule what is it that I have to do today? Who do I have to impress? Like all these different things. Cause that's yeah. something that I kept hearing yesterday. Impress this, impress this. I'm like, what about you? How are you, like, how is your spirit? Like <laughs> what's happening? So with you and everything that you've went through as a kid and then uh, having to be strong and now going to medical school, like what was that experience like? Was there something that, you know, might have been a trigger that uh, would put you in a place where, you know, 
it's it's taking you back to those moments where you know you, you were going through like a panic attack uh, uh yeah it just it the pressure of it like it really the negative self-talk really would, mm -hmm. became the predominant voice in my head during medical school it just instead of being occasional like it was mm -hmm. in undergraduate or when I was like after my mom it was you know, sometimes you get those like, oh, I'm not that, like good enough or I'm yeah. not going to be able to pass this and just, but when it got to medical school, for some reason, it just essentially compounded on itself and blew into this monster that mm -hmm. it really was the only thing I was thinking about, like, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm a failure. And it mm -hmm. just, that's what kept recirculating and building and building. And so I would try harder. I'd stay up later. I would mm -hmm. do things that I thought that if I could overcome it, then those voices would go away with, mm -hmm. without approaching it in another manner. And so I think, and that was obviously not the most healthy because I didn't seek mm -hmm. help because, again, didn't want to admit that I was a failure because I'd see some of my classmates and they would just be appearing like rock stars in there. Yeah. Like, getting so they talked they're like oh i got like a 98 i did so bad on it it's like shut up you did not like <laughs> i got like a 92 like like what the hell like are yeah. you serious so wow it, it, it's like you know there's not space for people to just actually uh be like vulnerable like it sounds like yeah so was there ever like a breaking point for you because because that, that's something that i've heard a lot when it comes to like medical students where, you know, it, you know, they'll have a breaking point and then they get the help and actually understand what's, what, what's happening to me. Why is this happening? Did you ever experience that? Yeah. So I, my first, so I kind of had a couple that I look back on it and didn't fully engage in the process of healing from it. So mm -hmm. I got to experience it a couple times during it. But, um, the first one after first year of medical school had a really bad habit of staying up late because I was mm -hmm. like I just gotta I gotta know more I gotta know more I was staying up I was essentially getting two to three hours a night of sleep and that was I was wow. my mind was toasted from studying and just really stressed and then I went to my family physician and they did that whole I just finished I don't remember what subject now looking back I remember I had taken a test and wanted to uh, go see my doctor because I was like, I knew something was going on because we'd done all the psych stuff and mm -hmm. I just wanted to talk to somebody. And he asked the question like, well, do you feel stressed? Like, well, yeah, I just finished my test and I don't yeah. know how I did. I feel like I, I'm a, I failed and going to have to repeat first year again. And so this, it's this constant, like you always think you're going to fail and have to repeat the year again and that as a medical student is the like last thing oh, yeah. you want to do. Cause then it's like you're failed because then your classmates will see you as yeah. a class below you. So then wow. you get this whole mind set. It's weird. And like I look back, I'm like, man, I don't know why I was worried about that, but yeah, it didn't like happen. But when I uh, went to my family physician, I, he, we were talking and he asked if I was having suicidal thoughts. And I was like, never had actually admitted it and I had fleeting ones of just self-harm mm -hmm. didn't have a plan or anything like that and I mentioned that and then he went off on me and it was the most traumatizing thing that mm -hmm. happened because he's like that's so selfish of you to like want to take your life wow. I can't believe you'd do that uh to your wife to your family like why like think of all the people that you could help like the patients if you killed yourself then mm -hmm. you would be letting down your patients and you'd be letting down your family members and it was like, Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. Yeah. That's, you're, you're totally right. I, I don't, ha I don't want to have those thoughts. So I yeah. need to do something to, like, so that was a really bad breaking point. And then went home, had an absolute meltdown because not only did I had these fleeting thoughts of self harm, but then mm -hmm. now I'm like, Oh, now I'm letting down everybody if yeah, I'm, yeah. because I have them. And so my wife at the time we went to a, a psychiatric, urgent care checked in or went through the process. And then I was able to do an outpatient type program for mm -hmm. like three weeks, which really was nice. It helped give me insight, but I also kind of gamed the system so that I didn't mm -hmm. have to really participate. It was, it's a thing that I think med like a lot of people do, but especially I think people in medicine that go through something like that, they try to game it because they, 
either don't want to lose their license or they don't mm-hmm. want to like have things happen. So they kind of say that they know the, they know the questions you're going to ask. So they kind of game it in a way that you get the least amount of things that happen to mm-hmm. you or the least amount of treatment or whatever it is. Wow. And so that's the challenge too in medicine is that people, we know how to essentially game it. Yeah. If we're not, if we're not drink, being truthful with ourselves. And so yeah. I wasn't totally Very truthful because I was like, Oh, this is just like, fleeting thing and so it's gonna go away yeah it's gonna go away <laughs> yes but you know you like mentioned like losing your license it's like to to me that's like the most stressful thing ever yeah. no, knowing that you know that's a possibility of losing your uh something that you've paid you've paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to get it and hours of like hard work and now you're like one mistake i could lose this yeah like can you go deeper into that now being a doctor? Like, how does that feel knowing that, you know, that's a possibility? It's, it still terrifies me. Yeah. I, there's places that I looked at applying to in their medical, like, cause every state there's 50 different licensing applications. Mm-hmm. There's really, there's some uniformity now. There's a national, I think it's federal state medical board or something like mm-hmm. that. And but each state has their own board and so they have their own requirements they can ask their own questions and then there are states that specifically ask you do you have any mm-hmm. mental health active the way that they word it essentially like have you ever suffered from it and mm-hmm. they don't take into account so it's just something that they check off their paper yes yeah, so, okay yep, cool yep. we've we've talked about it cool yeah now let's and, get to work and then there's other states that you have to that don't ask it utah doesn't ask it missouri doesn't ask a question mm-hmm. like that they ask if you are safe to practice, which mm-hmm. people that have, you know, like there's yeah. lots of people that have mental illness that are very safe and yeah. Oh, they're not do, even they, aware they, they of can it. function. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's an unfair question on some of those state boards is that mm-hmm. are like, they ask that and then they ask, not only do they ask it, but then they ask you to show proof of it. So you have yeah. to go get your medical records from psychiatrists, from therapists mm-hmm. and like some are that invasive where they actually want you to submit. If you check yes, they want you to submit all of your mental health medical records to the state board for them to examine. Yeah, Yeah. because they can actually come back and say no. No, we're not going to And then then if you get denied a license, then if you apply to another state, you have to, most states, have you ever been denied a licensure in another state? Oh, my gosh. And so if you say, if you get denied one, then you have to put yes. And then mm-hmm. you have to go through the whole process again, again of being, why did you get denied? And wow. so it's this cycle that as physicians, we, I mean, anybody, we don't want to lose our livelihood. Mm-hmm. And we also want to get the help. We like, we want to get help. Definitely. And so that's, it's a, it's a weird, they're trying, a lot of States are trying to change that. Uh, New York state where I uh, did part of my residency was doing a really good job. I was probably one of the, easiest app like nicest applications i've mm-hmm. ever done and it was just very straightforward they didn't ask any extraneous any the, questions that mm-hmm. were not relevant to practicing medicine so wow so so they don't have like uh kind of like a solution for people that are checking yes on mental health it's just like okay well this is risky let's just yeah not so, deal with it yeah so there's it's they have a board and the pendings there's some states that do really good they don't really want extraneous information mm-hmm. from you yeah but other there are other medical boards that are well known that they will essentially de- they want all of your stuff yeah which is there's actually i think there's a couple uh i don't know if there are lawsuits but they're thinking about bringing cases against some of these like medical board like mm-hmm. licensure places and states because it's kind of against the American Disabilities Act to mm-hmm. deny somebody yeah. because anxiety, depression, those things are disabilities, but they, sh- they don't discount people from actively working or participating in society. And so mm-hmm. like, that's why they're wanting to get those off because they shouldn't have to, dis- they shouldn't have to like go into this extraneous detail of, to show that they are competent physicians. So no, yeah, definitely. It, it's 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 um actually like super illegal where the hospital could could, could even get like suspension or even go out of business, uh, um because you know there's a law out there called you know the parity law, which basically states that you know physical health is the same as mental health, and you cannot deny it to anybody. You have to treat it the same. So the fact that that's even happening, 
uh, you know, at that big level, and you know, I wasn't even aware of it. So thank you yeah, for that. It, yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely gonna start pushing that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's but, yeah. it's bizarre because it's that's how I the same thing. Physical and mental health mm-hmm. are not like I know physicians that have uncontrolled you named a disease they have mm-hmm. it and that's just as much of a risk especially yeah, if you're participating in care where like maybe surgery or in, like something like that and you stroke out or you mm-hmm. have a crash then you're just as much of a risk that somebody that yeah maybe has a mental like maybe more so sometimes so like that's yeah i mm-hmm. like that point that you brought wow. up so no yeah definitely so is is there um something for like residents and like students while they're going through all this to like you know get back to and like try to get help like a psychologist and you know in campus that that actually genuinely is trying to help students uh depends that's the hard part is it's not a uniform (laughs) process it's really sad to say that that Mm -hmm. there's some places that really like my school like des moines university had Mm -hmm. had a good program i just didn't utilize a lot of it i that was looking back they had resources that i didn't utilize and may have helped may not like i don't know like yeah uh hindsight is 2020 but i know they had that but then i've known i have really good friends that went to school Mm -hmm. and residency elsewhere zero resource they didn't have resources available to them they had maybe a counselor but it was somebody that wasn't versed in what medical student like again going back to what the counselor like that i had experience as a child that Mm -hmm. wasn't experienced in childhood trauma Mm -hmm. there's also uh, I think there needs to be a more of a training or more of a push to get people that are experienced with people that are going through yeah. high stress professions like physicians and what they deal with and how to like, not only because first and second year medical students deal with a different set of stresses than third and fourth year students. Mm-hmm. And that's where my other breaking point came was at the end of my third year is mm-hmm. I'd just been on the road and I'd seen very traumatic things. Like it was those things that, you're seeing things in third and fourth year of medical school that kind of build on you. And if you don't have a resource mm-hmm. and because I was traveling around so much, I didn't have great access. Now there's better, I think with all the, uh, telehealth things, I think there's that mm-hmm. wasn't great at the time. Yeah. So that made it challenging, but now I think some places are getting better at utilizing that telehealth, but yeah, you see different things. And so I think you have to gear the psychologists and mm-hmm. the therapists for the student in, in a medical stu- medical school setting mm-hmm. for people like that, because Definitely. their needs are going to be different than a resident. So a resident. And again, I, I loved my attendings and supervising physicians in New York, but we were a very small rural mm-hmm. um, program. So we didn't have therapist so for me to get a therapist I had to find somebody that on my own that also worked non-traditional hours yeah and so that's hard too as physicians because we work these bizarre hours that we go in at six or seven in the morning we don't get home until six seven eight o'clock at night most people are done by that time and so and the lunch breaks are usually occupied by we have like lunchtime lectures that we have mm-hmm. to go to. So it's just this constant thing that you really don't have a break for. And so mm-hmm. for me, I was able, luckily found a really great therapist in Buffalo that her hours were happened to be like from five Perfect. to nine at night. And so that helped me mm-hmm. to kind of stabilize the ship while I was going through what I was, but yeah, mm-hmm. not every place has that. And, and then sometimes they even have the other part of the ones that do sometimes they put their therapist right next to the administrators. Mm. And so that's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. So the students are going to go seek help. They're going to walk right past the administrators yeah. and they're going to walk right past and it. Again, some administrators are great, but then you get the ones that are like, Oh, hmm. so-and-so struggling. Like, yeah. it's like, why are they going to see the therapist? And wow, that's such a huge stigma too. Yeah. Wow. So with, with like everything that you've mentioned, I, I, and you know, you, you, you've kind of touched into this, but like on a, on a more general term, like how does this affect like students? Because I've you know found this stat that says that doctors have the highest rate of suicide among all professions. To me, that that's like mind blowing because yeah. they're the one helping people, but they're not giving the space to be vulnerable. They're not giving the uh, 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 the space to even admit that they have issues. Yeah, like this is a big problem. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's really bad because and you see it 
I've seen it everywhere I've gone in the United States. It's very pervasive and it's just accepted as what it is. They're like, Oh, that's just what medicine is. And it's like, well, why does it that way? Nobody can, whenever I bring that question up to people, like, why is it that way? Mm -hmm. It's, they don't have, it just is. And it's like, why? Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. We can change it if we like really delve down. And I mean, it's not going to be great fun work. It's going to be hard, but yeah, the, the culture of medicine very much is still, See, back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day, I went up hills both ways in mm-hmm. a snow, in a yeah. blizzard type of thing. And I and broke my leg. Yep. And, and, and I, I still saved yeah. two deers. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's this is <laughs> this always this one upmanship. I, yeah. Like, oh, you don't even know how bad you guys are or how good you have it. That's mm-hmm. the thing that we kept hearing. Like, you have no idea how good you guys have it. You have 80 hour work weeks. Like, you're like, but people are dying. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's I'm glad problem. you worked 120 hours. That's fantastic. I mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a badge of honor. I, I feel like patients suffered from that too, because yeah. mm-hmm. I had one attending that was in that older generation, but very honest, very like he hated the old system. He's like, there were days that I worked. I don't remember the day. I don't remember mm-hmm. taking care of people. I don't remember what I did, which is terrifying because. I could have ordered something. I have no idea if I ordered anything wrong because that was mm-hmm. back in the day when everything was handwritten. Mm-hmm. And so he he has blank spots in his memory because he just has no, he was just so tired. It's exhausted. You know, yeah. Stress, yeah. I, I mean, a stress would definitely do that to you. Yeah. And, and um, is there like a process to like challenge this system? So like what would happen to a resident going into a boardroom and be like, hey, you, you guys need to do this. Would that be a problem? It, it would be. I, it, it, there's a, I'm trying to remember the name Is of the organization. The ASM something? Yes. I think, yeah. America's the, Association. I, sh- I should know this, but I... I, I uh, yeah. No, you're, and I'm trying to remember it there because there's one, there's a resident. It's essentially kind of a union type of yeah. organization. And I, I apologize because I can't remember the name of it, but they, but it's not everywhere. That's the hard mm-hmm. part is that because it's type a union type of thing you have to yes. pay like dues and but the places that have implemented that or have had them represent the residents have gotten better pay they've gotten mm-hmm. better resources available to them because they had a bigger body mm-hmm. essentially advocating for them yes which i think is a huge component to this is that we need advocacy ag, ag, Advocacy. Advocacy. Thank I can you. never. Yeah, so my, I got tied there. I was like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about something very heavy, so no wonder your tongue will get tired. <laughs> it's your tongue is like, I'm tired. We need to do something about this. Yeah. But, so, and that's, but they were able. They're able to advocate for that, like mm-hmm. what the residents actually need. They get a lot of it. They don't mm-hmm. get everything, but they get a lot of what the residents need. But then there may be smaller prices that that either they can't do it for whatever reason. Yeah. Because I know that um, not a residency I've attended, but I've talked to a couple of friends that they tried to bring in this organization to mm-hmm. kind of advocate in the hospital their hospi- or the hospital system. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Essentially threatened to be like, well, if they come in, then we're going to have to get rid of the residency because we can't afford to do to the things it. that you're asking. So it's, and then the residents get scared because right now there's not enough funding for mm-hmm. every resident there's people that are going with that. Like they're having to do this crazy dance of finding just random spots just Mm -hmm. so that they can have uh, a year of training so they can get something. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, when things happen, residents don't want to speak. Residents are very scared to speak up because they don't want to be without a spot because Mm -hmm. if you don't get training, you don't get a job. And so many States, I believe it's 25 or 26 require a year. So you have to at least have a year of residency done so that you can practice medicine. Wow. And so if you don't get that, you don't get, you essentially don't work as a physician, which mm-hmm. is really terrifying for people that have $400,000 debt. Cause yep. like I can go work at IHOP or I can't go do this because yeah, cause you got a debt to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, it, 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 to me, uh, I mean, this sounds really stressful, but, uh, you know, as someone, you know, who's not in that space and just having you talk about it, it's like having to like impress continuously and then also be afraid of losing, you know, an opportunity in, in general. So where exactly does the funding come from? Is there like an organization or is it like a government funding or yeah, government funding, Medicare and Medicaid fund the predominant, uh, the majority of residencies in the mm-hmm. United States. So that's wow. the way it's tied. And unfortunately, because of uh, legislative, 
I don't know. I politics the funding has not increased since like 1998 mm-hmm. and which is crazy to think yeah. about because there has been more schools there's been more red there's more, more people, people that want to be into, yeah and so they are essentially locked in at the amount since night i believe it's 98 99 it, i mean clinton was president that's what i know it was last time it was changed so or increased in funding so and um, what's stopping that from like increasing? Isn't there like an, uh, basically people behind it that are fighting that? Uh, I'm, make not, sure, I'm pretty sure that there should be some people out there because this yeah, sounds like a big problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Yeah. And I know that the organiza- the bigger organizations like the AMA, the AOA, mm-hmm. uh, the bigger medical organizations have tried to advocate every year because I'm part of the AOA and the AMA. And mm-hmm. they essentially advocate or they try to like do these letter, they send out an email saying, write your congressperson, write your representative yes. to get, to help us get more funding for residency spots mm-hmm. because we need more residency spots. Definitely. But every year for whatever reason, I don't know if there's backdoor things going on that they don't ever get it Lobbies, done. Yeah. Lobbyists. What, I don't know what would want them to stop it, but there's something that's stopping it because it hasn't been done in over 20 years. So there's something that's putting the brakes on it all, which is exactly. very frustrating because we really do need more funding spots mm-hmm. because, and there's a lot of places that could, we could train physicians at and yeah. do really well at. So, I mean, yeah, you would think the people that are taking care of us, uh, you know, they should be getting everything <laughs> they need to make sure that they take care of us in general. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very backwards way of thinking. And this is something that, plagues the mental health industry itself it's like there's so much money that goes uh that comes from the federal to like state level where money just gets misused and it 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 like uh it literally ends up to going to like developers you know building you know nice buildings and gentrifying communities and and everything is so backwards when it comes to you know like government funding because the people that are distributing it you know, they, they, they're just weird. I'm just like, yo, yeah. this, we, should, we should take care of the doctors and make sure that they're okay. Like, you know, they can actually advocate for each other and, and freely speak about the things that are bothering them. So since we're talking about funding, I want to go into the film that you were part of yes. called Do No Harm. How did you become part of that? Because that, that was really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, it, was a, it was kind of a crazy happenstance type of thing. <clears throat> yeah. uh, so the way... So I... Kind of a little backstory. I uh, attempted suicide at the end of my beginning of my fourth year of medical school, and then had to go through the whole process of. And then I was in the military at the time, so mm-hmm. had to go through the whole medical boards, and so and not knowing if I wanted to be in medicine anymore. So mm-hmm. I just was doing odd jobs. I was working electronic medical records. I was helping implement those and just kind of working. And then I came across an article from Dr. Pamela Weibel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I spacing on the article, it was one of her early ones and about physician, uh, medical stu- student, uh, uh, suicide and things like that. And I was like, Oh, and, she, and, and, a lot of our articles, it's always like, if you feel stressed or depressed or suicidal, mm-hmm. like you can always reach out to me and I will like talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen those things before. Everybody sees those are like, Oh, you're not ever going to talk to that person. Yeah. really. And so I, uh, emailed her. I shot off. I think it was a LinkedIn message or mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly, but it was really weird. I was just like, Oh, she's not going to get back to me. Yeah, at least like, a month. Shoot my if shot, she gets, whatever if happens. somebody gets back, so it's going to be like a robot answer. Like, thank yeah. you for responding type yeah. of thing. And I, so I messaged her, gave her my phone number. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, if I'd love to talk to you or just get your thoughts on this. Cause I don't know if I want to go back to medical school to finish. And I just, I'm at this weird place. And two hours later she called, I got this call from, Oregon. I was like, what? Who the Oregon, heck? wow. Yeah, so she she, lived, she uh, lives up in Eugene, I believe, or Eugene. She lives in Oregon. And she called me, and I was like, what? And so we just started chatting. She's like, your story reminds me. She would just gotten off the phone, I think, a couple of days before. Um, the, other, the other family that's in the film, the mm-hmm. Deals, John yes. and Michelle Deal, who lost their son, unfortunately, to suicide. Um, he he was in the same class as me. So he, mm-hmm. so I was going through the whole year. So when I contacted 
Dr. Weibel. I, I would have graduated if I would have stayed in, like, mm-hmm. would have continued going through the process, but I kind of withdrew, was going through the medical boards for the military, and and then their son ended up dying by suicide uh, in, I think, two months before he was to graduate from yes. school. And so they had contacted Dr. Weibel and had told their story of what happened to Kevin. And and Dr. Weibel was like, You're, you sound exactly like Kevin. Like, yeah. Your story sounds exactly like Kevin, but you survived. Is it okay if I put you in contact with the deals? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's fine. If they're okay talking to me, I don't like, I know it's very new and raw for them. And mm-hmm. so we started communicating by email and then Dr. Weibel mentioned, she's like, oh, I have somebody that I know that may want to do a film on physician suicide and wondering if you would want to participate in that. You don't have to. And I, I thought, no, mm-hmm. I like something that uh, my dad had always ingrained in me. Like if there's something you can change, change it. And yeah. so to me, like the mental health thing after like talking with Dr. Weibel forever and then going through my own stuff, it's like, something's got to change. We got to do something. Cause nobody's yeah. talking about this. Cause I thought I was the only one. I didn't realize like how bad of an epidemic mm-hmm. physician mental health and physician suicide was. And so I was like, yeah, if I can help that, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And so it was just this discussion of, uh, should we start the film? Like she doesn't know, she doesn't have the funding yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know like when it's going to happen. It may be a couple of years. So if you just, you know, we'll let you know when it starts yeah. to happen. And then it got like July or into August of 2015. And I just was like, I'd really love to do. I, I just want to meet the Dills because mm-hmm. we've been communicating back and forth. I'm like I just want to meet them because I was living in Des Moines, there in St. Louis, and so it's not that far of a drive. Yeah. And so I, and it just like they're like, well, wait, we want to like film this, inter- like we want to film this first meeting with you guys, and and we're like, well, when's just the funding's gonna happen? Yeah, yeah, like when's the funding? Like I don't want to like, I don't want to ruin that, but I also really want to meet the, this family. Yeah, and so. We ended up finally John and Michelle were like, we just want to meet Hawkins. Like, and I was Mm -hmm. like, I just want to go down and do that. And so the filmmaker, Robin Simons was like, we don't have the funding yet, but we're just going to film it. So she essentially was able to put together a filming crew Mm -hmm. in St. Louis and we got it worked out. So I drove down, met them. And that was kind of the start of everything that was like, an impromptu type but like we're like we're gonna meet so we got to do something and so it just started from there and kind of grew there was a a fundraiser to kind of help get the funding going for the film so Mm -hmm. they could do more interviews they could do just more travel different stories all the things yeah and so then it just kind of took off from there and the bizarre train that happened like i graduated and Mm -hmm. we were gonna do like it was going to be the thought was at the time, like my graduation and going into residency would be like, see, like it yeah. was good. He like worked through his suicide attempt mm-hmm. and got into residency and then he made it and then I made it. And then yeah. everything kind of fell out of the wa- the bottom of the wagon at mm-hmm. the end of my intern year. And there was more stuff that like, again, not it's a process for sure. Yeah. But, 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 but yeah, it's like, you know, um, I actually watched a documentary and me being a new dad, and hearing Kevin's dad saying this, I was like crying so much. Oh, because <laughs> C- yeah. you know, you know, just all the ways that you know he missed like certain yeah. things that his son was going through. Yeah. And the mom also explaining how she knew something was wrong, but she she tried to talk, but Kevin was just saying, "I'm fine." Yeah. And to me being a dad, I'm just like bawling in my, <laughs> by myself and just watching this, and I'm just like, "Yo, this is a great film." So. What was it like just you meeting them for the first time and knowing what you know about them and, you know, actually him, you know, Kevin's dad saying that you, you look like him. <laughs> like, how was that feeling? It, it was, it was definitely, it was an honor because Kevin was a, is a great, was a great person. He mm-hmm. had all the ideals that I went to medical school for. It was very bizarre because I applied to his school and he applied to my school and mm-hmm. we both got accepted to both places, but we chose our separate, like he chose AT Still University and I chose Des Moines University. And mm-hmm. so 
it just by happenstance we could have been classmates together yeah. but we weren't and so and then just meeting them and hearing his story and hearing the things that he went through it just has like very it was my story yeah like what he went through and suffered and not knowing how to reach out for help and his parents not knowing what to do because i was in the same boat i mm-hmm. didn't know what my parents could do for me and they didn't know what they could do for me. like it just you don't know what to do because it's just mm-hmm. it's fine everybody else is going through it so i don't want to worry anybody else that's the mentality of it and that's what kevin yeah the uh, perfection mindset yeah. uh, yep. you just got to be perfect uh work yep. hard and you know, if if you if you fail if if you don't pass a test, you're a failure. Like yep. the, the, to me, it's like that's the most bizarre thing. Cause, it is crazy. You know, me like you know as an entrepreneur, you know, I've 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 failed at so many things. But to me, it's it's just like sometimes I do things knowing I'm gonna fail. But to me, I just want to just like experience it and 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 know what it is and move on. So um, um, I do want to talk more about the film. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, what is it? Like, like, what's the goal of the film? Because I know it, it like, raises awareness of, like, just, like, uh, um, uh, doctors and the, the things that they go through and the lack of help and also just the suicide rate. So can, can you touch more just for the audience that don't know anything about yeah. the film? Yeah, so the, the film Do No Harm, we're essentially exploring the, 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 the epidemic of physician mental health crisis mm-hmm. in primarily the United States, but really the world. Like there's, I mean, once we got working on this, once they got working on this film, it just blew up. Like we, mm-hmm. I have people that I have talked to in Germany and the United Kingdom and places mm-hmm. like that where like very similar things, but different. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's a worldwide thing with medicine that we just don't know how to correct. But in the mm-hmm. United States, we focused it here because it affects a lot of people. Yeah. And we, we really, so the film focuses in on that, how there's a problem of getting resources for medical students, residents, physicians, mm-hmm. and how that impacts the education, the mental health of the individual, mm-hmm. and really patients at large, because if we're not it, not taking care of the physicians at an early stage, mm-hmm. then we're not doing patients justice. We're not giving them a qual we're not giving them the quality physician that they deserve yeah because they're being so beaten down and so like their mental health is being disregarded mm-hmm. and you're not getting this opt you're not getting who you should be able to get because the physician's just so burned out mm-hmm. and so we tackle that and in the film we also are advocating for that physicians are humans like, mm-hmm. i think people kind of forget that that we we do hold a sacred position of helping people heal and when people are sick that we are there for that and help them through that process mm-hmm. but we're also human ourselves we make mistakes and yeah. there needs to be some realization that physicians struggle to and mm-hmm. to get them the help and to get that's i think people don't we we tend to forget that because of like oh doctors make a ton of money yeah Doc, like they and they, they have these perfect. yeah <laughs> they're always perfect they're yeah, always like, white code yeah you know just always strong for sure yeah and so like wow. there's this there's this picture or this image of what a like the physician is mm-hmm. and so when that gets shattered or when that's not what it is then people I don't know they bristle at it or they there's they just they struggle with it because like mm-hmm. oh I don't want a physician that struggles yeah. with that or like well. He's, yeah, I, they they do. They're human. They they do that. And I think when you do, at least my experience, like when you do identify with patients, I've had awesome interactions with patients mm-hmm. because of they don't know my whole story or they don't know everything. Like, but I, when I shared little bits, when I see them yeah. going through things, they appreciate it so much more. Like, oh my gosh, like this person that went through 12 years of school actually understands what I'm going through or mm-hmm. they can get that process. And it's like, I like don't fully know, but I empathize with them. And yeah. so I think that helps humanize people. And I think that's what the like people want as their mm-hmm. doctor. Like so many people do not like, they're like, don't be that physician that like just pops in a room and pops out. Like that's all I heard going through medical, like the, my rotations when I get to sit down with a patient for a while, they're like, don't be that doctor that just pops in and pops out. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want that doctor. 
because I'd ask like, well, what are you, lo- what would you look in for a doctor? Like, mm-hmm. Everybody wants a smart one, but you get into medicine, you're smart because yeah, you either I'm... work hard or a combination of factors. So, but they want humans like that's mm-hmm. really what people want as a physician. They want a human being that understands them. And as part of this film is emphasizing that we're doing a disservice to that because we're beating our physicians down to the point mm-hmm. where we can't be human anymore. So. Yeah, no, d- definitely. I, I mean, even with me, you know, the way that I'm raising awareness is, you know, trying to create the relation, the, the, the relationship that we all have as humans, which is pain is one thing that we all have in common, but yep. we don't talk about it. So with, with, with this show, Do No Harm, I love the fact that, you know, you guys are, you know, letting people know, hey, we are humans, and we also do have all of these problems that we never, you know, have the space to talk about it. So, you know, it is your uh, choice to actually listen to us and give us that space at the same time. And, you know, and on the flip side, it's like we're doing all these things to fight it, but we're not allowed to do so. So help us. Like, yes. you know, the you know, I love the whole call to action behind it uh, with the Do No Harm film. If, if you haven't watched it, go to Amazon and buy it right now and watch it because it's, it's amazing. Like, I had to buy it twice. <laughs> I, I was like, I want to watch this again, but it, it was oh, already three days. Okay. And I, and I had to rewatch it again. Uh, I do have one question before we wrap up here. It's like I I know that there is a uh, a very big call to action behind the show. Can you share more about that? If you have that information, yeah, just the petition that's going on with you know with the whole show to to make sure the doctors actually uh, are able to pass bills and not have to lose their job because that's a dean that actually lost his job in the Do No Harm uh, film, yep. and he was trying to fight it. So yeah, I I think that's working on a local level if you know if you're i guess that's the biggest thing is working where you can mm-hmm. how you can and if you can write a letter to a congressperson asking for more funding for residency or for resources physician or writing um talking to your physician mm-hmm. and your personal physician or a physician you know being like how could i help your profession like mm-hmm. what would make it easier for you to be a physician and help me as a patient then sometimes that just asking them because we like some physicians don't want to talk about it they just want to like power through their day and just Mm -hmm. get on which is great but like if you ask a physician what can what as a A patient patient can i do to help you as a physician is there what advocacy can i do for you Mm -hmm. whether it be through writing a letter to your representative asking for more funding Mm -hmm. for uh, training spots or writing asking for changes in licensing laws if you know that the physician if your people you know say that licensing uh, Mm -hmm. restrictions they're really challenging for them to seek help because they will get penalized for that Mm -hmm. in some manner or if it comes down to um uh asking easier reimbursement from insurance because that's another big stressor that gets people burned out. And I know that's a whole different like insurance, subject in yeah. itself because yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's a limiting factor with mm-hmm. everything, mental health or like, cause it's bizarre that I we know. have insurances that don't cover mental health. But yeah. I went through that where I just moved from my insurance didn't cover much mental of my medical health. health. So like I paid for it, but out of pocket, but it's one of those things that, there's people that that's why they're not getting the help they need because they just can't afford it. And so not only physicians, but just regular insurance. Like, yeah. You know, so insurance is like being able to write and advocate because that's a huge thing, being able to have access, getting it paid for too. Cause mm-hmm. there are people, there are physicians that unfortunately can't make their, their, uh, payments on their private practices mm-hmm. because they just can't afford to see certain insurances because they know that they're not going to get paid for them. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I mean, yeah. Um, insurance, I have a thing with, with like insurance agencies as a mental, <laughs> health, um, cause you know, I, I think that's actually legal the the fact that they didn't cover for you. Uh, so that, yeah, that, it, you know, it, 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 it like blows my mind that it, it like still happens. I'll definitely look more, more into it, but yeah, yeah, I mean, the parody law, it's actually against that. You cannot say no to anyone. Like, literally, it doesn't matter who it is. You always have to 
actually take it. So that so that's a big no-no, people. If you're listening and an insurance um, agency denies you, you have a uh, just go to the Parity um, website, so Parity.com. You can actually sue them. You can, you know, I, I, I mean, they'll, they'll probably just give you all the money at that point. They'll be like, oh, no, no, sorry, never mind. Sorry, was, you, you know, it <laughs> was covered. It's, it's magical yeah. when certain when people go to bat for, like, if you have somebody that I have had patients that they wrote their representative and their representative mm-hmm. happened to contact and their debt went away or their yeah, it's like, they don't want to be in the heck? It's, it's crazy that mm-hmm. it magically goes away when it was a problem and they were getting pursued by these insurance thing. And I, I, I don't hate all insurance. Like insurance is, a, it's, yeah, it's animal, good. Yeah, it, it's good. It, it's just the way that it's being used. You know, yeah. um, capitalism just, just made the whole dying industry into, you know, money. So like insurance companies are making a lot of money as well. So it's like some somewhere along the line, there's an individual who just decided, you know what, I'm gonna go to bed at night and yeah. I don't have to worry about this. You know, my pockets are getting heavy. So that's like illegal. So go to ParityLaw.com. Sorry, um, uh, Parity.com, P-A-R-I-T-Y.com, and you can literally, you know, get everything settled within seconds. Cause you know they'll go out of business if someone uh actually you know take them to court and like win it's a big problem so i'm hoping that you know uh in the next five years we can deal with all that so that's what i'm working on on my own projects that's great i think Uh, that's because that is a huge thing is just getting people i mean i as a physician don't have insurance right now i'm mm -hmm. paying for like yeah private practice and it just it's one of those and that's another aspect of this whole thing that i think it doesn't really explicitly mention it in the film, but yes. it's just, it's kind of that underlying thing that as if you own your own business or you may not be able to afford insurance because mm-hmm. it's so expensive that it's like, I'm going to, am I going to pay my employees or am I going to mm-hmm. get insurance? And so sometimes you just suck it up and mm-hmm. try to pay for it out of pocket. And so I think, and that wears on you mentally because you're like, Oh man, if I have this and this happen, then I'm going to be kind of rough. And so, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, I guess another, like, if your physician's it, like, okay, like, give them a hug, smile. I don't know. Yeah, like, I guess COVID nice. times may not okay, be able yeah. to get a hug, but, like. Like virtual Virtual, uh, virtual high five, smile yeah. at them. Just, just checking t- let, Yeah, check in on your physician because mm-hmm. they do. We are human. We're struggling. And so we really want, we want to know, like, when we have people tell us, like, we're doing a good job or that they mm-hmm. appreciate it, it really does make our day because, I don't know. It's, it's a tough job and no, we know that taking care of people in it. Like we just, we love it, but we also really struggle because mm-hmm. we see the worst of things that humanity can happen, whether it's intentional or accidental, like mm-hmm. we see things and it's always part of our being now. And so mm-hmm. that's just be kind, I guess, yeah. physicians when wow. you can. So, well, um, this has been fun. I've learned so much. Uh, so before we wrap up, I do something uh, where I just ask a random question. Yeah. So do you like Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. I have never actually seen a full episode of Grey's Anatomy. Good I, for you. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard stories and we've always got like little clips and stuff. Yeah. I can tell you that from some of the episodes, I like the segments, I'm like, I can tell you that 99% of physicians would never do some of the things. That, like, like the intimacy thing. Like you're not going to be like. Yeah. Impatient rooms are like empty. It's like that's disgusting to I think know. about. So it's like, what is happening? Like, why would anybody do that? So, no, yeah, it's like you know, I have zero like background in like uh, in that industry. I'm not a doctor. I'm not. A, I'm. I'm nothing. But whenever I watch that, it's humorous. It's yeah. I'm, 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 I'm just like. Now I have Downton Hospital because I'm, I'm, I don't want to be laying in the bed dying and these doctors are making out. Yeah, like yep. what the? Heck? Yeah, I, I most. Most are, I, I've never encountered one that really wants to make out in the hospital, like <laughs> rooms or, cause it's, yeah. we know what happens in those and we know like the, yeah, it's kind of gross to think about that, that, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe there is somebody, but most yeah, of us are like, no, we don't want to like, if we have to sleep in the hospital, then it's, we're usually tired and mm-hmm. we're sleeping yeah. there for a reason. There's, we're not going to do extracurricular activities right? there because it's <laughs> not the place to do that. So no, definitely. <laughs> But, 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 but yeah, man, thank you so much You're for, welcome. you know, coming here and like talking more about it's such an important topic. Thanks for having me on. It's, yeah. I love talking about it cause it's one of those things that I, I haven't got to talk a lot about it just with the pandemic and mm-hmm. moving around and things like that. But when I get the opportunity, I love to just 
spread yeah. the word about like it. raise awareness because yeah. again like in the beginning you like mentioned about you thinking this is just you yeah. not knowing that it's a whole like pandemic out there of doctors yeah. that are experiencing the same thing so the i think you know the reason why i do is do this is because i want more people to talk about it yeah. and you know hopefully there's going to be one doctor who is listening to this and it's like oh wow i have this uh, this is me yeah so this is a problem and let me go seek help yeah. you know in their own way so yeah. um yeah so thank you so much for what you do and yeah, you know you. thanks for the team behind do no harm it's such an incredible film yeah it's and they have fantastic people and all the all the people involved in the the, uh, the producer crew, the yeah. director the fan Great like the deals dr weibel mm-hmm. all the people that they interviewed are just fantastic people they're yeah. all doing their part to raise this awareness and get this hopefully it's a big ship Mm-hmm. And it's no, it's big. It's got to be turned around, but it's going to be a slow process. And mm-hmm. I hope to see it in my lifetime. Yeah. But you never know. Like all I can do is just do my just best. Just start and, and yeah. just you know have more students. Like uh, you know, uh, Jesse just just joined the fight. Uh, uh, the audience probably is like, "Who is Jesse?" <laughs> we have an extra guest here, but we don't have a mic, so uh, I forgot my mic. Uh, I mean, I didn't forget. I asked. I was going to get one mic, but everything just happened so fast. <laughs> but she's here. So, uh, yeah. So, thank you so much for, you know, uh, making this happen, Jesse. And thank you, uh, Dr. Hawkins, for showing up and just, like, just letting our audience know that, you know, doctors are humans as well. And they do go through, like, you know, stress, anxiety, like, all these different type of illnesses. So, we should have grace and you know, empathy to them because they're taking care of us. Because if they mess up, we die. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So we, we, we try our best and we don't want people to do yeah. it. And we, we care about people a lot. Yeah. And we, we want people to go home to their families. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a great intention. But, you know, what they say about intention. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely the goal now uh, uh, to, to, to my audience is to get more funding, which is something that I'm, I, I like advocate for because I think, you know, even though some people, you know, have a bad thing for money to me, it's like money actually fix a lot of things because that's what the problem is right now. So the goal will be to basically figure out how we can get more funding for doctors and just practitioners in general, just to be able to practice in a way that they can have a peace of mind and, and, and not have to be in a place where you're constantly trying to, you know, um, impress someone, even when that happened, it's like in a healthy way, but not like in a toxic way, which, yeah. which sounds like that's what's happening. So again, uh, this is the Freedom Project podcast version. And we just had an uh, awesome interview with Dr. Hawkins. And uh, we're going to cut it here because I think this can go for, for a very long time. I can talk so about it for questions. a long time. Yeah, I, you can ask any questions like, if you want. I'll yeah. think I'm good. I, I like talking about it. It's, it's no, fun. definitely. So, uh, yeah, uh, who, who knows? You know, I'm coming back here uh, next year. So cool. I may uh, grab you again and be like, hey, I, I, I have something that I want to talk about. I'm, I just bought a house. So I, oh, like, cool. there may be a little bit better. Yeah, better audio. I, you know, I don't have to worry about cars and buildings and stuff. <laughs> and trains and the yeah, There's a train out here. So yeah. so uh, if you hear some weird noise, just know that we're really trying to make this happen. But we're, there's a train outside, cars and stuff. We, You know, I did my best. But yeah, so thank you very much for uh, your time and uh, thank you to the audience for listening. Uh, uh, we hope uh, we can continue this fight uh, to actually pass more bills that, you know, that's more human focus and actually solving problems. So again, this is the Freedom Project and I'm your host, Ibrahim Abraham Sise, and I look forward to the next episode. Yeah.